Scarantino, and this is the Get the Fuck Off podcast. Every week, I'm going to be talking about a new topic to help you guys get the fuck off the shit that doesn't serve you anymore. But first, let me tell you a little bit about me. I used to work as a bartender, and I lived in the New York City bar scene. I smoked between a pack or two a day, and I was what you'd call quite overweight. I learned that the secret to adopting a healthy lifestyle is a series of mindset shifts. Unfortunately, they don't always come with an owner's manual, so I decided to start this podcast to give you guys the nuts and bolts without you having to do all the research on your own. Getting healthy does not mean you have to sacrifice your outstanding personality, and it actually can be quite a fun journey. I'm really excited to have you guys on that journey with me. Let's get off together. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Get the Fuck Off podcast. And I said maybe last week or the week before that I was going to start bringing on guests and I am honored to have my first guest on the get the fuck off podcast. I couldn't have had a a more fortunate experience than to meet this gentleman. This is Darren Francis, David Kaur. How are you doing today, Darren? I'm doing very well. How are you doing? I'm doing, you know, I'm fantastic. Darren and I got to talk about a week ago and he just has one of the most incredible stories that I've heard in a really long time about, you know, overcoming adversity and dealing with trauma. For all of you guys that are listening, Darren actually has a really interesting background in that he worked in the auto industry in Canada. So why don't you tell me about your ba- your background in that, and um, and we can work our way forward. So you have you were really successful. You did a lot of coaching and high profile training and all of those different things. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Back, what it is, I work. I worked for the uh, the largest auto auto uh, group in in all of Canada, and uh, it's it was the the Jim Patterson Auto Group, and um, he is a he's a billionaire. He um, he has over twenty five thousand employees. He's one of the most probably richest men, if not one of the most successful businessmen in all of of Canada. He started out himself many, many years ago as a, as a prairie boy living in, in the prairies uh, in, in Canada. And then he ended up um, starting his, his own dealership. He was, he was a lock guy. He sold newspapers, starting his own dealership. And all of a sudden, uh, he's, he is, uh, he's, he's basically a mogul out in the industry. And he's, uh, he's, he's got a big yacht. He's had Oprah, Oprah on his boat. He's had the president of China on his boat. He's had many dignitaries come and be with him, and uh, a very, very wealthy, wealthy, successful man. And he's uh, he's in his eighties right now, and uh, he's he's got radio stations, he's got TV stations, he he owns a big chain of uh, stores all across Canada, huge big chain of stores. He owns actually down in uh, I think it's in Florida. He he owns all the rights and has all the to Ripley's, believe it or not. That's wow. that's, that's that's all of his. Yes. So you were working for that group and then eight years ago, something happened and you had a, there was a, a big shift in, in what was going on in your life. And do you want to, and you, when we started talking, you were telling me about eight years ago and, and what happened there. And I would love to, I would love for you to talk to my, my listeners about, about your story and, and really that moment for you that things started changing and then 
the moments following where you started putting, you know, you started piecing everything back together. Yeah, well, basically, um, back in March of 2013, I just gotten in, into into the real estate business. And my, my goal in the real estate business was uh, to success, set up a successful uh, coaching business to where I could go anywhere in the world. And then just from the, the comfort of my home or sitting on a beach and just uh, coach real estate agents all around the world and coach people in business and stuff like that. And that was my goal. My goal was to be a millionaire in five years and to be super successful and to go around the world and speak. But in a fateful day, it was basically a March 28, 2013, the world as I knew it, the world that was Darren Francis David Core, basically shattered into billions of pieces. And basically what uh, I didn't know what was happening at the time, but all of a sudden, just overnight, I just I just broke and I broke bad. And it was just like a it was just like a big dam just burst. And uh, I woke up on that day and I just the fear, the terror, the the overwhelm that I felt, I could not ex- explain it. I felt I was going to die. It was like it just plunged me into such darkness. But in those early days, I. I was I was terrified. I was um I was breaking down all the time, crying. I'd fall on the ground like in into a fetus position, and I would be screaming. I'd be driving my car down the road. I would I'd have to pull over to the side of the road. I was collapsing in the car, and I would start screaming my head off. Just and I I couldn't see nothing. I didn't know what was happening. And this was just random. Like this just started happening. Just in one just, day. Wow. One day it wasn't something that built up, and. Uh, all of a sudden, I just, um, yeah, I just, I, I was just plunged into, I've never really experienced anxiety or panic attacks or anything like that. And just out of nowhere, it just hit me. And I felt like a little child at the time. And, and I, have, I have two daughters, my oldest daughter at the time, we were living together. And uh, she just, you know, even to this day, she said, Dad, yeah, you just, you were like a little child. You just went on the ground in a ball and you were just calling for your mom and your dad. And, and, uh, yeah, and it just it was just it was just was hitting me, and I just I just didn't know what to do. I just didn't know what to do. I um I felt inside. I you know I um I I just thought I was going to die. I just thought I was going to perish off this earth. I I had felt maybe inside that I'd seen some sores in my tongue. Then all of a sudden I I, I developed a health anxiety, a health phobia. In in those first couple of months, I probably went to the doctor every day. And I had all these maladies that I felt was happening. My doctor had to assure me, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And I didn't know what was going on. I I visited naturopaths. I visited people because I was so concerned with those sores on my tongue. But at the same time, I was so fixated on what was wrong with my tongue. And the doctors had said all I had on my tongue was called geotongue, which is 3% of the population. And uh, it is just, it is, it is usually from stress or it can be hereditary or just people are born with it. Many, many children are born with it. And, but I, I was convinced that I, that I, that I had a life-threatening illness, but at the same time I was shattering. And, uh, and I kind of, when we talked before, I didn't really share, go deep, deep into this, but it became a huge compulsion to me to where all I cared about was, was my tongue, but yet me, the man as I knew before me, I was just falling into pieces, right? But previous, uh, if I was to rewind back in that, there was someone very, very important to me. And I, I 
just for anonymity and stuff like that I, I can't share but it was someone that was very close to me that uh, a few months earlier tried to take her life and uh, I think that was just a, that was part of a cascade that started to happen just building up to that point and uh, I had found them and I, I, I had brought them back and stuff like that and uh, that really really rocked my world it, it terrified me because I, I loved this person very very much and they went on to two other times to uh, try and take their life because they had experienced something in the past at the hands of another person. And, um, and it just, uh, just broke me inside. It broke me inside because it's someone that I, someone that I loved and adored. And uh, that, that kind of contributed to it, you know? And so I ended up, as you said, I ended up on this journey to where I just started just shattering into billions of pieces and I didn't know what to do with myself. So at the I time, was, did you know that you had trauma that you hadn't resolved yet or? No, no, that- definitely. And, and definitely, no, not, not at all. And, and the thing was, is I was so concerned with, with that tongue, with my health, with my physical health. I went from about 200 pounds solid to where I worked out all the time. I was a very, very strong person to where I was just, I went down to 150 pounds less that I even actually was starving myself at one point where I did I was trying everything all these elixirs that could trying to get rid of this thing in my tongue mm-hmm. but yet I didn't realize that me it was me that was I was I was I was falling apart and I and I, I just didn't recognize what was going on but uh in, incidentally it um it led me it led me to where I ended up going into hospital one day I went to the hospital and I actually begged them to take me into the psych ward I begged them and they said there's nothing wrong with you you're you got all your faculties about you and they, they wouldn't take me in. I just wanted to go somewhere because I was terrified of the world. I was you terrified. wanted an answer. Yes. And I, and I think that that's a big problem is that they want, you know, people won't take you into the psych ward often if you're not, a, if they don't believe you're a danger to yourself or someone else. But you knew, you knew, even if you didn't consciously know, you knew at the time that there was something that, that you, that you deeply wanted to resolve. Yeah, and I, I and what it was is is, is I, I just wanted to go in just to be safe because I I just it wasn't like that I was afraid of doing anything to myself or doing anything to anybody else, but I was just I just felt I needed to be somewhere where I I, I would be safe to where because I, I didn't know what I I couldn't function in the world. I just fell apart and mm-hmm. like I I I had all my intelligence stuff like that. It wasn't like I was going crazy, but it was just the feeling inside I cannot describe it describe it as probably the worst feeling you could ever feel in your whole life it was just you, I felt I was going to die I was going to perish and it wasn't like I was hallucinating or hearing voices randomly that it was nothing like that and then you know fast forward fast forward about two or three months I ended up I ended up going back and I ended up uh, it was it was around Christmas time and Christmas a hit and I think it was a huge trigger for me and Christmas was a huge tr- trigger ever since I went through my divorce. I never celebrated Christmas anymore because I, as I said, I have two daughters and after my divorce, I just, I couldn't face Christmas. It was too painful. So I'd kind of shun Christmas and push it away. And Christmas was my most favorite holiday, you know, and yeah. I couldn't deal with it. So what I ended up doing, I felt so alone at Christmas. So I went the Christmas of 2013 and I went in into the hospital on Christmas. Christmas Eve and I went in and I just told him I just I don't know what's going on with me I, I went on pills but just excuse me before that I went on pills and 
for anxiety and depression. They said I had anxiety, basically anxiety and stuff like that. And uh, that was fine. And uh, started helping me a bit. I started to raise up, but you know, but prior to that, for a couple of months, I couldn't function. And then I just that wasn't working. I just felt like I was just inside. I'm just I'm breaking. I'm breaking. I'm falling apart. Like what's happening to me? So I did did have some kind of feeling that there is something. There's something not right because I was never like this before. Because right. I was high, fun, high, high, highly functional. And then uh, that uh, Christmas Eve, I went in. I seen a psychiatric nurse. The psychiatric nurse put me in to speak to this uh, the psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist said, "Here, we're just gonna, you know, take this, but open this." And he sent me home. So I went home. The next morning, I woke up on Christmas Day. I just felt this sense of dread over me. Yeah. And I was supposed to go over for dinner with, with my mom, my dad, and, and and the rest of my family. And I, I just didn't end up going. And I, uh, I ended up going back to hospital. I walked back into the hospital again. And I just basically said to them, and this is like uh, twice in two days. And then um, I went in and I just uh, said to them, I said, I said, I, I just feel like I'm falling apart. I don't know what's going on. I said, I need your help. I want to get up, go to the psych ward. And that is the last place I ever want to be. I'm terrified of hospitals, hate hospitals. And for me to want to do that, I think the evidence is saying that there's something deeply was going on inside my soul or whatever. Now, I, I do. And I, I, wanna, I don't want to like purposefully skip forward all these years, but I think it's important to, to skip forward so that we could work backwards. You know, we talked about your most recent you've been. So you, you're sober and you've been sober how many days? It's it's what? Yeah, I'm clean and sober right now. A hundred and fifty-five days, so just over, over five months. Congratulations! From, uh, yeah, I f- I fell into addiction just over a year ago, smoking crack cocaine. Now addiction, we when we were talking about it, because and I think that this is really this is really a monumental thing, is that you fell into a crack addiction, but in the whole scheme of your story, that actually was something that you. Uh, that was that wasn't the largest piece like for you 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 described it to me as 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 a blessing that it happened because it allowed you to sort of get to deeper levels of understanding about what actually was happening and and I would love for you to talk more about that and to tell everyone about that journey for you and and how you were able to understand more of your trauma and and tell your story yeah I think um I, what really happened is, is uh, I, I guess most of my life I've had many, many different addictions. And uh, I've come to realize now that because of my underlying trauma, I was addicted to basically everything. I overdid everything in, in life, in work, going to the gym, in relationships. I, I, I strove to achieve, to fill that void inside. And that void inside, that, that abyss, that deep hole was... Um, just was it seemed like so so deep so I tried everything all my life to do that and I believe which I call now me breaking open in in March 2013 and the reason I say breaking open because some people say a breakdown but I was memorizing yoga one one time about five years ago and there was a lady in there a very knowledgeable lady and she said to me said she's stop saying you broke down she said you broke open she said you broke open to new life and I since say that all the time was when I broke open I shattered and I broke open because I believe, you know, the opportunity will happen is, is, yeah, I broke open, you know, to where I could actually go and heal the deep-seated issues that are there and everything that was going on that I had pushed away for years. So, yeah, so, the, so I ended up uh, 
last year in January of 2020, my dad, basically a day after his birthday and being 71 years old, he was diagnosed uh, with cancer. He went in to, 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 get a to get the biopsy. We waited, I think, about three weeks for that. We got the biopsy. That was probably one of the most terrifying moments in my life other than, you know, breaking open in 2013. And I was starting to feel better from my trauma and all that. At that point, I was starting to get my life back, January, you know, January a year ago. And then all of a sudden, I was thrust into this. And I, I, I could not describe, I'd never, you know, to anybody that has lost anybody, not have lost a parent or, or potentially losing a parent. It's one of the most scariest feelings in the world to see, see, see a man that, that was a pillar of health at a 72 years old, diagnosed with cancer. And then we got the, the cancer diagnosis back um, three weeks later that he had one of the most rarest forms of cancer basically in the world. And there was no treatment that he could take. They said that radiation would possibly kill him. And, uh, you know, the same with, with uh, that he wouldn't be strong enough to withhold even the chemo. So he was given maybe a year, maybe a little bit less to live. And over that time, I seen a man that was so strong, I just being just decimated into basically nothing. And three, three months, three months almost to the date that he was diagnosed, he was gone. And myself and my mom, my brother and sister, we, we watched over him for three months. I was there every day and I was the most horriblest thing I've ever seen in my life. And it just, as I say, at the time, it put me into an area where I was, I was already healing from my past trauma. And then this on top of it, it turned my world upside down. And I think what started to happen is, is I was on self-destruction mode. I just really felt like, what is there to this world anymore? I don't really care. So that, so in that January, when I had, just after diagnosis, I was hanging out with someone. I went and hung out with a, you know, a girl and we hung out in a hotel room. And, uh, and what was interesting is, is I had, I had smoked crack in the past. I tried it and stuff like that, but it never did anything for me or any party drugs or anything like that. It was never my thing. I used to drink alcohol for years and stuff being Irish. That seems to do that's we seem to do that well. And um, but I I I kind of knew the girl maybe smoked it. And I kind of said to her, I said, Oh, I've never tried that before. Can I try it? And when I when I tried it that that day, the feeling that I got from that thrust me into numbness and feeling like like there was nothing going on. And I ended up almost hanging out with her for two days. And just smoking and smoking and smoking and like it was going out of style. And, and at that point, I didn't even think of anything, but I just want to escape. And I tell you, it's like such, such a powerful drug that it, you just cannot get enough of it. And you feel like when, you, when, when it touched it, it was a great feeling. But then three weeks later, I, you know, and I'm not one to be, you know, out there being an addict or anything like that. I would never thought that I'd be a person that would start start going down that slippery slope and then i i ended up uh three weeks later i tried it again and uh, and i and i noticed that the, even you know the girl and stuff that is hanging out with she kept sending me slow down slow down like you were you were just going over the top of this stuff but i couldn't get enough of it and it was you didn't crazy. want to feel anything no and it but also it's like yeah. i think i just that that part of me trying to fill that void i've been trying to fill all my life it's like it's like that wasn't something that came in. It was like, it was like more and more and more. But at the same time, 
I think I, I realized that now when I look back at it is it, it was, I truly wanted to destroy myself. And I wanted to, my father's death kind of was the cascade that kind of said to me, like, it's like, you know, just destroy yourself there. You know, I'm not going to go out and run out and kill myself or thing. But I believe when I found the drugs, it was kind of like, you know what? I want to, I want to eradicate myself off the face of the earth because deep down inside life has no meaning. Life has no worth. Everything I have, has, have, I lose. I seem to lose everything. So why not just let myself slip and let myself go? You know, and it was, it was, it was kind of, it was craziness. And, and that said, it was three weeks later. And then it was like, it was, it was basically going once a month. I was just trying to, but every time I went in and that's the thing is with addiction is every time I went in, I went in and I binged very, very hard. And then I think it was the third or fourth time trying it. All of a sudden, um, the person I was using with, they, they were using a drug called fentanyl. And uh, fentanyl usually is mixed with heroin and stuff like that and some other substances. So we would smoke crack. I wouldn't touch any of that stuff. And I wanted nothing to do with that because I've lost, uh, I lost uh, you know, I've lost relatives in, in, back in Ireland in, in to, to addiction and stuff. And uh, I, was, I just never thought that would be me. But, but fentanyl is a huge crisis up in, 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 in British Columbia and Canada. There's, there's more people dying of fentanyl and opiate overdoses up here and i don't know what it's oh, here like here too states, here too it's yeah. a it's it's a problem yeah it's a problem Thanks. and it, as you talk about it it's it's it, it really it really touches me because i always say and i and i would love to know if you if you agree or don't but you know as you were talking about through the course of your life you you'd been on the trajectory of trying to fill that that piece um for for a long time and you know at first it was and you know i find that addiction isn't really a problem as much as it's a result of a problem but what was the point that you finally said okay like enough like i i have to i have to get myself to a place where i can address what's been missing my entire life well, see, that's where the point came is, is because I had people around me. I joined, I joined the Fellowship of Narcotics Anonymous, right? And I had people around me. I was going to meetings and they were saying to me, the way you're doing drugs is not like a normal person doing drugs. You are a binger. Bingers are the most dangerous because bingers are the ones that go in and it's basically, you know, excuse me, balls to the wall. And it's just, it's just all costs go in, go hard and come out. And being at the time a 50-year-old man, I just said, it led me into hospital three times. They ended up in the emergency department on three different occasions where twice I nearly died because it was mixed with fentanyl and heroin. The doctor said it was a miracle that I survived. The second time I was in, they said there was a, they were ready to put a stint in my heart. There was specialists waiting to operate on me. They said I was having a mild heart attack and there was a problem with one of the valves. And it was just a miracle that I got out. But he ended up going out again. And being in there another time, I was using with someone again and then back in. So it was just, it was a slippery slope. Even the doctor in the hospital just said to me, he said, we're losing too many people. Come back later and spend the night with me here. I want to make sure you're safe. But it was like, it got, as he said, it got to the point where my once a month was becoming once a week. And then I was talking to people that were addiction specialists. And they just said to me that you are ready to go full time into addiction. And uh, I have a relative of mine that is in full-time addiction right now. They're out in addiction and they're, 
there's someone very, very close to me that is full-time in addiction that has, has trauma at their core too, that will not deal with it, that is running from it. And I pray to God that they will deal with it. And the thing is with me is with, with where it got to the point is I had people in and they said to me, one of my friends said to me, and excuse the language here, he just said, you know what? He said, you need to get the fuck into treatment. He said, because I'm losing another friend. He says, I'm calling him up and he's calling me. And what he's doing is he said, he's saying to me, he said, help me, help me, help me. And he said, he said, well, he said, get the fuck out there, sell all your property and I'll bring you to treatment. And the guy goes, well, I don't want to lose all my stuff. I bought, I've worked hard for all the stuff that's in my house for years and years and years. And this is the insanity of addiction. And this man didn't want to give up his possessions. He didn't want to give away his possessions. And, uh, and this, this friend of mine was just saying like, Darren, I don't want you to be like him. He's ready to die for his furniture. His furniture and his belongings is more important than his life. And when I heard that, and I just said to him, yeah, yeah, I will, I will, I will. And then I was working with a local um, addiction center, you know, that helps people get into treatment and stuff. They were starting to phone me every day and go, we're worried about you. There's, there's, you know, with the, with the fentanyl and, and drugs being laced with stuff, we're afraid that you're going to go down and you won't come up. There's many people that were dying in my city and there was bad batches of drugs going around. So I made, I ended up having no choice but to make the decision to go to treatment. And I'll be honest with you, it was so disheartening, but I got to the point where crack was on my mind 24 seven because I had such a taste for it. And it was like, it was, it was crazy. And when I talked to my doctor, that's what my doctor said. He says, you're at the point now where your brain needs the substances. It wants the dopamine rush. It wants the dopamine hit. Mm-hmm. And that's when I, you know, I ended up applying to go to treatment. So it's like someone that went into NA. I came into NA thinking I had a small little problem. And then all of a sudden, my problems start progressing. And if I could just share with you, just a man at a meeting, my first meeting I ever went to, and I sat in that meeting and said, my name is Darren, and I'm an addict. And even saying that, I went to looked around the room thinking that everybody's going to say, no, you're not. You're not a fucking addict. We're addicts. You're not. I didn't even, I didn't even think I was an addict. It felt false to me. And I just, right. and, a, and a man after meeting came up to me and he said to me, you know what, Darren? He says, you, he said, your story that you just shared at the meeting tonight, he said, that was my story 26 years ago or 30 years ago. He said, I was a successful businessman. My business was worth over a million dollars. And he said, just like you, he said, I started binging out with crack, hanging around with women. He said, crack and sex. And he said, and he said, then, and he said, 26 years later, he says, he says, I'm two years clean now, but he said, I lost everything. He said, I lost everything. He said, bingers are the worst. He said, us bingers, he said, we, we use recklessly and dangerously. And it's interesting if I could just share one thing and just segue for a second. When oh, I yeah. spoke to my, my trauma therapist about this, what she has shared with me that those of us that have had trauma in life, our trauma from childhood or trauma from war or wherever it is, we have what's called dysregulated nervous system. And because our nervous systems are so dysregulated, we need some form of substance or something, whether it's sugar, whether it's drugs, whether it's exercise, whether it's being on the internet, whether it's, you know, working, we need something to give us a dopamine hit. Right. You know, and I, once I we actually get- wanted to ask you about that next. So I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you segued there. So please, please continue about, because that's really important. And I think that that's what I talk about a lot with, 
you know, on the Get the Fuck Off podcast is is about those very things, about that underlying trauma and what people are looking for to do yes. that. So please. Yeah, it's my honor, my pleasure. And the thing is, it's, it's so funny because I told you because of all the trauma I have and I'm still resolving it. My goal was many, many years ago to go around the world to be a motivational speaker, right? Before I, I broke open. And now what it is, is I want, I've really been on my heart from a very young boy. I want to go around the world. I want to speak about trauma. And that was the big thing. Then all of a sudden addiction became part of my story. But the thing is, is I believe at the very core of addiction, they say the statistics, there's a doctor, his name is Dr. Gabor Mate. He's from Vancouver. He's world famous. He's wrote many, many books. He said they asked him about the opiate crisis and stuff like that in Vancouver and in the British Columbia. And they said, OK, you've got addiction and stuff like that. He said, so he said, he said, what would you do with these addicts, with this huge thing that's going on? This was about five years ago. And he said, uh, he said, so you guys, he said, you're putting them all into treatment centers and stuff like that. He said, that's great. He said, great. He said, so you put them into treatment centers. He said, you get them some clean time. He said, you send them back onto the streets. He said, what next? And they go, what do you mean what's next? They're, you know, they'll rehabilitate themselves by, you know, doing treatment and stuff. He says, no. He says, he said, let me tell you something. He said, I want to tell you a statistic. He said, 100% of all my clients, because being he was a, he's a, I believe he was a psychologist slash um, psychiatrist and uh, had a medical practice doctor. And uh, he, he worked with clients and he just said, he said that 100% of all my clients that had addiction had complex trauma as the root. And he said, so the thing is, he said, you can go in and you can do all the work you can in treatment. But he said, if you do not address the underlying issues, those people are going to keep relapsing over and over again. And that's the same thing. And it's like, I'm working with a knee and DR therapist and, and some, doing some really, really deep work. Basically, I've been diagnosed with what they call as complex PTSD. I've been diagnosed with dissociative disorder. I've been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, even uh, reactive attachment disorder coming from, you know, from stuff that happened at a very, very young age and happened repeatedly. And it's now I'm piecing those parts together. But the thing is, is that the, the root core of all addictions, all behavioral problems, many, many things is trauma. You know, and the thing is, is that uh, I, I volunteered for about a year and a half in an area with the homeless and addicted in where I live here in a place called Surrey. And when I was out there, they said that, yes, that basically at the time, their stats, they said, was 97 percent of all people that are living on the streets and are homeless and addicted have complex trauma at the root. So the thing is, is what we have is we got people out there just like me, that if we do not look at the root cause of what's going on, I don't believe we will get better. And it doesn't matter what we have going on, whether it's anxiety, depression, um, codependency, um, any, any behavioral disorder, anything that's going out. I really, really feel that I would say that most people even walk in this earth that have, have been traumatized in some way, even as a child, even as grown up, even, even, you know, because, because, because I think that we all have experienced trauma because trauma could be losing a relative losing my dad um, losing, you know, um, losing a job, marriage, psychological abuse, sexual abuse, yes. physical abuse. I want to, I want to go back to 2013 when we started, we were talking about you and you, you felt something was wrong. You went to the psych ward. They didn't want anything to do with you. 
what do you think that needs to happen? Because you were talking about the homeless population that you worked with, the addicted population. What do you think the disconnect is between the medical professionals of that field and where's the disconnect where people can get help and people can, because my guess is that those people that are homeless, addicted, struggling, probably don't know that they have that underlying trauma, but the people that are working professionally would know those kinds of things. So what do you think needs to happen? So that when somebody like you goes for help, goes for help in 2013, it doesn't take seven more years before you start to really get to the root of the, that trauma, those things that are really underlying in the surface. What do you think needs to, needs to go differently? Well, I think it's education too, but also I could just mention that I did that when I was saying, I went in and I asked to get into the psych ward on that that christmas eve then the christmas day i was sent away the second time i drove up home i was driving up the road i was distraught and you think that they turned me away twice and i i drove up home and i pulled over to the side of the road and i was screaming and screaming and screaming because i didn't know what was going on and all of a sudden i got it i called my my daughter who was with my ex-wife at the time having dinner there and they my ex-wife got on the phone and she said what's going on with you? I said, I don't know. I don't know. She said, she said, I'm just having a couple of drinks, but she said, I'm worried about you. She said, you turn around and drive straight back to the hospital. So I drove straight back to the hospital. She met me there with my daughter. I went, I went into, it was, this is Christmas night now. So three times in two days, I could have been suicidal. I could have been anything, but they just looked at me and pushed me away. Right. And this is, this is, and I'm, you know, I don't want to run down the medical system, but there is, there is, there is gaps there and there's people that are going out there. And what if I, you know, I, I could have taken my life. I could have done something that I didn't want to do. And that's what scares me for other people. And I'm glad we're bringing it up because it's giving me a bit of an ah, an aha moment of me thinking about it. Because there's many people like me that are going in and not getting that help. So I ended up that I was seen by a doctor, not a psychiatrist. There was no psychiatrist available. It's Christmas night. I've had no Christmas dinner. I don't think I've even eaten. And all of a sudden, uh, the doctor came up. My ex-wife and my daughter was there, my oldest daughter. And she was ended up being from Ireland. And I just, I even talked to her. I said, hey, you must be from Ireland. Where are you from? She said, I don't even want to talk about that. She said, you've been here. This, this, is, this is what should have happened. She said, and this is just the doctor, emergency room physician. She said, I don't want to talk about that. She said, you've been here three times times in two days she said that concerns me she said i'm worried about you she said i'm going to override whatever the psychiatrists are doing and she says if you want to go to the psych ward if you don't feel safe if you've got nowhere to go tonight if you don't feel safe or you don't have family to be with she says i will sign the paper right now and i'll override what they say but she said i'm just concerned with you and I looked at my ex-wife, looked at my daughter, and they said, you know, do it, Darren. And I looked at her, I said, because I've nowhere to go, I'd nowhere to go. I was going to be on my own. And I ended up, I, I ended up going in at I think 2 a.m. in the morning into the psych ward. And I tell you, I got in there, and I'm among many people that are very, very sick people in different various degrees. Never experienced before, never ever thought I'd ever be in there. And going in there, I felt the safest I ever felt since all this happened and that was 
I broke open in March 28, 2013. And this was Christmas night, basically Boxing Day 2013, you know, the 26th of uh, December. And I went in there and I felt safe, you know, and uh, but the thing is, is, and, and here's where the rub is, because I was in there for about three weeks and I started to improve. But then this is how the medical model works is the, I, I, I don't like pills, but I wanted to do anything to get better. So they pushed me more and more pills. I took the more and more they gave me. Then all of a sudden I started to deteriorate three weeks. I lifted. Then after that, I started to go down. Dave Dyson knows me at the time having general anxiety disorder, major depressive disorder, a bit of suicide ideation. And uh, that was it. There was no talk of trauma. There was no talk of what was going on. Basically, what I've seen is, and it's no disrespect to what's out there, but I said it to the psychiatrist that was working with me. What I seen there is, it seemed, you know, and it may be the same in the States, maybe the same all over the world, but it seemed like a carousel there that people that were in the psych- psychiatric ward were people that were in there before. They go in, they stabilize them a little bit on medication over a few weeks, maybe a couple of months. They're sent back out again and they're back in again. Right. Because what's happening is nothing has been resolved. Nothing has been looked at. Yeah. And, you know, I think that here in the United States, there are some there are some medical conditions that do require medication, like bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. And that's true. But I, yeah. I would agree in that. I think a lot of people approach medicine and, and psychiatry as a reactive sort of thing where they don't really want to. There are people that there, there are there are absolutely medical conditions that need that people need to take medication. But a lot of the times here, it's very reactive in that instead of dealing with underlying trauma, instead of dealing with unresolved issues, instead of dealing with, you know, PTSD that could have, uh, you know, resulted from childhood, people often are misdiagnosed, given medication sent on their way and they start to feel better after being on the medication for a short period of time. And then, I mean, and I'm not a doctor and you know that, but you know, I I see it with people that I know and with things like trauma and stories like yours, there needs, there needs to be a lot more, a lot more aggressive therapy. I mean, now you were telling me about EMDR. You were telling me about the work that you were doing with your therapist. I would love for you to talk more about, about that and what actually needed to happen, what needed to happen as of present day and, and to help you start making, you said that she, she said to you that you're, you're making tremendous progress and like, like lightning speed. And I I would love to hear more about, you know, how, what got you to that point? And definitely. And that's what I said is uh, just, and I, and as you say, we are not doctors here and stuff like that, but medication does have its place. I believe the medication has its place to where it can help someone cope so they can go to do the work that they need to do to resolve what is going on underlying that. And I just want to make another point that there was a book written called Trauma and Recovery by a doctor called Dr. Judith Herman. It's a very famous book. Many clinicians use it. And what she said that, that most people that have trauma at the root core what happens is it takes maybe sometimes 30 to 40 years for that to break open in them. And what it does, a person has a break breakdown. And once they break down, what happens is they go into the medical system. And as you're talking about the medical system, and here's where the breakdown lies. She says it takes them between six to seven years. And this is statistics. I believe she was an American doctor. 
the statistics show that it takes six to seven years for a person to get diagnosed with underlying trauma as, as the root cause and the cause of what is going on. So, and what happens in that time, they're on a carousel and they're in and out of maybe psych wards, they're in and out taking pills, out doctor's office, trying everything. And they're labeled, they're labeled with basically every disorder. And what Dr. Herman was saying in her book, Trauma, and Trauma Recovery, she was saying that trauma in a person can mimic every psychiatric illness. And you mentioned earlier about even schizophrenia. Schizophrenia in maybe a nine times out of 10 cases at the root core is some form of abuse or some form of trauma at its root core. And that is also healable. And I just, if we just, if we could just share one more thing that I was, I was shared too is absolutely with the brain nowadays, we know that our brain is plastic, right? And we know our brain is moldable and malleable. And uh, basically what we can do is I heard that something like, it's like something like out of 98, 98% of, I believe it's depressive disorders is, is basically almost a hundred percent healable with neuroplasticity so people that have these disorders many of them can can heal and then it's something like 99 percent of anxiety disorders are 100 percent healable because the brain it's the capacity of the brain to heal is huge and the thing is is most people don't know that and they will stay on these pills and they will they will mask their symptoms for years and what basically they are doing is they're just basically taking care of the symptoms and the symptoms are basically you know, they're, they're looked after. And then, you know, after many months and years, a lot of people have to try a new medication because that medication stopped working. But really, a person's never really free. A person's really never free if they don't do that deep inner work. But the thing is, is most people are terrified to do that. But I had no choice. I had no choice to seek help because something inside me told me they wanted to do electric shock therapy and all in, in hospital. They wanted to do that. And I said, no way. And I sat in front of a doctor for 21 days every morning he would see me and he says medication is not working for you I was treatment resistant and he said you need you need to get your you know your brain shocked right and I said to him I said I will die before I will do that and I would look and I would show him down my stomach area I said I feel broken there's nothing wrong with my brain I said I'm intelligent I'm strong I said there's something going on inside I said and I kept saying that even in the hospital I would sit there just bawling my eyes out for for days just bawling crying crying that is not someone that's things. There was something obviously deep inside that was going on. So fast forward to, it was almost like out of nowhere. I wanted to do EMDR therapy and I did try EMDR therapy when I first broke open. I, and you, you know, and I, I would suggest anybody if they're, they're looking to get help, you really got to be careful who, who you deal with and who you get help with, because there's people out there that can do more harm than good. And there's people out there that can actually, can actually put you backwards so the thing is, it's very important that you find the right people to work with. I ended up working with a Christian therapist for five years. I was so severe where I couldn't function. I worked with her five days a week. I was terrified just to go throughout the day. I was five days a week with her, but she became like a mother to me. She became like a parental figure because my, my trauma was so severe. It put me back into a childlike state. I was living like almost out of a brain of a child. And she saved my life. And she educated me a lot. I did a lot of work. Also, to that, just leading up to the EMDR therapy, is I did a lot of work. I did uh, neurofeedback, which is brain training, and which is helping to, to regulate the nervous system, 
and to, to, to calm the brain. And it uses, uses feedback so the brain changes and heals. So what I did is I looked on the internet and I studied ferociously how to get better. And I, and I, and I really feel people, we, you know, like, uh, we need sometimes to be our own doctors. We need sometimes what we have to do. If you want to get better, if you want to do something, you've got to give everything. It's like if you're training for the Olympics, you've got to give your, your basic, your life to wanting to be the best. So it's the same. I think that same drive I had in the car business and in life really did well when all this came down. So what I did is I went and I studied and I studied what people were doing to get better and what people were doing to resolve what was going inside them. One of the things that came up was yoga, yoga. Yoga came up because yoga as a form, what it did is it affects the heart rate variability, variability, which is if you can learn the yoga breathing and to slow down the body, we can inhibit our body more. So I, I just, I'm just leading up to the EMDR because this is what I did because I think it's crucial. No, this is, this is so, great. It's, it's very important. Yes. Please continue. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So what I did is I went into a yoga studio. My anxiety was so high and I went into a yoga studio and I, I was lying on the mat and I started doing therapeutic yoga and doing the yoga pranayana breath, which is the ocean breath. And I started doing that. And I even taught the instructor after the class, she said, it looked like you were, you said you were shallow breathing. So I never truly knew how to breathe properly. And uh, I started doing this four or five days a week. And she said that you look like you're ready to run out of class. I was, I was having a panic attack in there. I said, I didn't know how to slow myself down because if I realized most of my life, I was running, running from me and I was running, Run, running through years. achievement, running through, yes. you know, different behaviors running through. I mean, you talked about yeah. going to the gym, you're, you're eating your, but anyway, I mean, so the slowing down was, was yeah, crucial. So, so. Yeah, because the thing is, is when people have trauma, what we're doing is we're running from ourselves, running from our past. And what we're doing is we're actually not inhibiting our bodies. We're, we're outside of our bodies. And what we're doing is we're, we're basically living outside in an associated state. And we're living basically back in the past. So the key to healing trauma is inhibiting the body. And that's where yoga came in. And uh, Dr. Bessa Van Koch out of, uh, out of Boston, down in Massachusetts, Massachusetts they're the, the, I think the trauma center, they're, one of the biggest uh, trauma centers in all of the world. They worked with uh, rape victims and stuff like that. And uh, they, they put a whole bunch of people in a class and they started to do, to do yoga with them. And this is, this is why I was studying all this. And he said that something like out of 20, 40 participants, I'm not sure exactly what it was, but they did it over so many weeks. And at the end of the week, what they did is they, they tested their scores for PTSD afterwards. And I think the numbers were staggering. They were so high of how people didn't uh, meet the criteria for PTSD anymore after doing this yoga. And then secondly, another thing he brought up was he said, yes, medication management. He talked about some of the ancient practices of dancing, drumming, some of the ancient traditions, he said, where they allow you to just go back and heal in the body to, to move and then movement and stuff like that. And then uh, neurofeedback was another thing. And there was a lady called Sabern Fisher that contacted Dr. Bessel van Koch, he's famous too. He, bought, he wrote a book called The Body Keeps the Score. And uh, he wrote this book, and it's a famous book too on trauma. And, and he wrote that uh, this lady, Sabern Fisher, she was big in neurofeedback and psychotherapy, kept on trying to get a hold of uh, Bessel van Koch. And uh, he wouldn't even talk to her about neurofeedback. He's like, just stay away from me, lady. And then finally, one time, she sent him a whole bunch of of pictures and stuff like that of subjects that she had worked with 
And uh, on one of the pictures, there was a picture of, of a younger person that came in and they had such bad trauma. And after so many neurofeedback sessions, she got the child to draw pictures in crayons. And when a child forced through the pictures, the pictures were basically, um, we say in Ireland, matchstick men, but like stick figures. Right, right, right. And then after so many sessions of neurofeedback, she took it in intervals and she looked at the pictures. And in those pictures, all of a sudden, the child started to add color to the pictures, started to dress mommy and daddy up with a dress, with a suit, with a bag, with a face, with hair. And then she had other subjects where they couldn't even function and newer feedback brought, brought them back to life. And all of a sudden, when he's seen all these studies, he flew immediately down to where she lived in somewhere in the States. And then he started to bring neurofeedback into, into his, um, his practice. And he said, I know nothing. He said, in this world, he said, that can speak to that primitive part of the brain and help regulate the nervous system, the brain, like neurofeedback has. He said, the results are astounding. So he brought it into his practice. So what I started to do is I started to adopt the things that I needed to do to heal. And I didn't realize I thought it was going to be maybe, you know, one year, two year, I'd be out of this, but little did I know it plunged me into a deeper, deeper journey within, within the self. And a lot of people call it like the journey, journey, the inner journey, the journey to the self, to find your, the true core, your true self. And, uh, and what I found is my true self because of the trauma that I suffered. And I'm not going to go into details about that, but the trauma that I suffered, you know, um, from a very, very young age, what that did is basically I was mired and mired, mired and mired of, in years of layer upon layer upon layer of trauma. And I was like an onion. So all these layers, because of the trauma happened at a very early age, any loss or any disappointment that happened in life because of maladaptive strategies, my brain and my body protected me and I repressed and I suppressed and dissociated everything that happened to me after that. So I was living from a very young age in a dissociated state. And I, you know, and I didn't know that. So I pushed everything away. I pushed all that pain, all the heartbreak and everything I went through life by having many behavioral addictions and many different things to put, keep that pain at bay until that broke open in 2013. And then also what I did is I, I worked with naturopaths. I started looking into vitamin therapy, diet, everything. I, I did, I did everything to, to, to get well. And I think Any, anybody, if they, sorry, I, I don't, I didn't want to interrupt, but this is so fascinating to me because I, I, I talk about this a lot and I really, I, you were going to say for, for the audience about if you think anybody needs anybody, you know, wants to get on the journey into healing themselves do you believe that those pieces are necessary? Because I think a lot of people think that they can just treat the actual problem. But do you, but do you, but I believe and I, that all of those pieces to healing spiritually, healing your body at that and your, and your spirit at that deep level is extremely essential. And would you agree with that? One billion percent, because I believe that I would believe that 90% of people walking around in this world are walking around wounded, they're walking around broken. And I believe that they are human doings, not human beings. And what they're doing is they're walking around in this world, they're walking around in this world with some form of fragmentation to where they're defragmented from life. They are disassociated from life. 
And the thing is, is I believe that why I, why I say that, because all you notice if you go out somewhere, and especially with this day and age with technology, people are glued to technology. They're associating into technology. They're escaping in technology. The internet, social media, and everything has become a, an, a huge form of addiction, a huge form of escape. And I believe they're saying in the world right now, and then even during these horrible times of COVID and everything like that, is it's staggering because they say that the anxiety disorders, that depressive disorders, even post-traumatic stress is at a at a all, all-time high. And I believe it's a result of, I just say we're we're less and less connected to one another. And that, you know, mm-hmm. even before COVID, this this pandemic has come in, that's what happening is happening in the world. Is is the more and more we're getting away from ourselves. We're externally focused. We're not internally focused. And I really need, feel that that's what it is. I believe that it's the journey to the self. But I also believe that nine out of 10 people will never choose to truly heal because they're terrified. But I think also, I believe they don't, they, a lot of people, you know, again, too, do, do not know how to heal because what they do is they're trusting doctors, they're trusting people out there to lead them instead of really educating themselves. So why were you, since you say that you think most people are terrified, what, why, why were you, why do you think that is? I think it's true. I just want to know why you think it is. (laughs) Because we live in a pain avoiding culture. We live in a culture that is quick fix. It's funny. It's, it's, I'll give an example. McDonald's is probably one of the quickest places you can go and get a meal. And uh, when McDonald's is out there, people go to McDonald's because it's quick, easy, and fast. But even at McDonald's now, I, I've gone to McDonald's sometimes, and if my order is not right, my order is not on time, I'm, I'm pissed off because I want it now. Because we, we live in a culture that everything is instant gratification. People want see. everything now, right? So the thing is, is nobody, who really wants to do that? If you look at even the internet, you look at Instagram, you look at Facebook, Everybody wants to keep up with the Joneses. They want to be like everybody else. So the thing is, even with diets and stuff like that, it's like there's stuff going out there now as whereas in 10 days, 15 days, 20 days, 30 days, you can lose, you know, 800 pounds or whatever. Right? And, and it's just, for I, life. You got to do it for yes. life. You got to yes. do it forever. And that's Sorry, it. I get passionate but, about that. <laughs> no, but, but on, on 100%. But the thing is, is and, you know, I know you've shared some of your journey. I've seen your journey. And, both of us have been up and down and weight and different things in our lives and worked out, not worked out and stuff like that. And, and I look at all that. And the thing is, is, and it's the same thing as you even take someone with weight, right? If you look at it, if they've had the biggest loser on TV and the challenges and all that, and the people go on to lose maybe two, 300 pounds. And I, in my past, I've, lose, I've lost weight. I've put on weight, tons of weight. But I've always gone and put it back on. And you notice people that lose. They never deal with the unresolved. They they never deal with it. Yeah. So, so look, yeah, it's it's a shame. And and, and I want, and I want to bring up because I did bring up your addiction. And the reason I brought it up is because I think, I think there's a real problem with the fact that we have these things that we consider to be socially acceptable. It's socially acceptable to be a workaholic. It's socially acceptable to be 300 pounds overweight. It's socially acceptable to, you know, be be exercise five times a day to an unhealthy level and then we we have this stigma against addiction but it's like but it's all the same shit it's all the same shit and like i think the whole the culture as a whole needs to be better about noticing 
and, and, and being present, like you said, and doing that and taking the time to do that inner work. And I would love, and now, I mean, I know that you're in a place now where you're, you know, you're consistent and you're making progress and you're doing all of these great things. And I just wanted to hear more about, you know, one, what you do daily. And two, I would love for you to talk about your plans for the future, because I know that you, you, we talked about your, your early dream of going around the world and speaking. And it seems like that dream is starting to manifest now. So I would love for you to talk more about where you want to go with that now. Yeah. Well, what's, it's, what's crazy is I, I, I'm a believer, you know, my, you know, people talk about higher powers. They say the universe, they say source, they say Buddha, they say Krishna, they say Muhammad, whatever. My, my belief is in Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's important to me. That is my, that's what grounds me. And my faith is very, very important to me. And I believe I've got nothing against any other religions. I believe if something is important for you and something's right for you is, is, is do what helps you. But I believe we all need to be connected to something that's bigger than us because there is a source bigger than us. And as I said, I believe that's Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God. But the thing is, is I really believe that I had this dream from a very, very young age. I believed that I was going to be famous, I, whether that was a famous soccer player, because I love soccer, whether it was um, a actor. There was just something I just knew from a very early age. I felt I was special. When I say I'm special, I don't feel I'm better than anybody else. But I believe mm-hmm. that I was put on this air to do something special, to leave a legacy that I could um, leave behind and when all this happened just over eight years ago it plunged me into such darkness and don't get me wrong I'm still walking out of that darkness but the fact is I'm walking out of it I'm not sitting in that darkness because I I am I believe that it's it's all about motion it's all about every day getting up and it's it's and um, we talked before and you were you know coaching me a little bit and said we we have to have a why we have to have a why a reason to get out of bed every day you know, there was um, when I was in the car business, there was a guy called Joe Girard and he was a famous sales trainer. He's one of the most famous guys in the world. He was in the Guinness Book of Records for selling the most cars ever retail. And he used to say and he used to look in the mirror every morning and he'd look in the mirror and he'd say to himself, somebody's going to pay for getting me out of bed today. You know, and that was his little mantra. Right. And uh, so the thing is, is my dreams are crushed. My dreams are crushed the last eight plus years. I never, ever thought I would be able to do anything. I thought the trauma was my end and that the trauma was the be end and all of Darren Francis David Carr. I, I believe the trauma was just going to basically destroy me and I was never going to get better. And it was only until basically, you know, recently where I, where I started to see there's a way out. And my therapist always said to me, there is a way out. You just keep on going. And someone explained to me one time, it's like looking at a, when you go in, you see those big uh, railway tracks where they go into the side of a mountain and the mountain's huge. But if you look inside that, that, um, that, uh, that tunnel, at the beginning of the tunnel, you look, you can see nothing. And someone said to me, traumas like this, as you walk, walk in there, even grief or whatever, you walk through that and you keep walking, then all of a sudden out of nowhere, there's a speck of light. And I believe that's so important with healing and are doing anything in our life. That speck of light that to me came in as hope. And I had gone for, I had gone for 
well over seven years with no hope. Every day I was hopeless. And to go that long with no hope, every day waking up like Groundhog Day, that I had to face this shit, this terror, this everything that was my life, was just there was no life. It was no life. It was horrible. I cannot describe it to you. It's take care. Your worst fear multiplied by a billion. And that just changed. And my therapist said to me, that is going to happen to you one day. A light will open very, very small. And as you nurture that light, that light will grow and grow and grow. And that's the thing with healing. And I think that's an even growth for anything, even in success. Is that little seed, the more we water it, the more it will germinate, the more it will grow and it will turn into something big. So what it is, is when I was coaching training, I was training so many people about you have to have a why, you have to get a reason to get out of bed. And if I looked at it, everything that I had done in the past set me up to get to where I am right now. So everything I had learned in my past prior to me breaking open set me up to be able to make a comeback. Right. And the thing is, is amazing. Yeah. And it is. And how it works that way. Yeah. Yeah. And they say that when you go through trauma, they call it post-traumatic growth. They say that you will, if you surrender to the process, you will grow at something like a hundred times more than you'll ever grow in your life to the resilience. So post-traumatic growth, you will learn and you will, you will, you know, elevate yourself to a plane higher as you, as you surrender to. And I, that's what I learned as I surrendered to it. And all of a sudden, about a year ago, I started an Instagram trauma and addiction recovery. And I actually, actually had started off my Instagram as trauma and recovery because after Dr. Judah Herman's book, I looked on the internet and, and, um, I had uh, got that, t- that, that name and I just thought, I want to go around the world to speak on trauma. And then all of a sudden I screwed up. I didn't have a clue at Instagram. I, I'm not very tech savvy. And then all of a sudden I, I screwed it up and I blocked myself out of that account. So I had no choice, but I ended up going, okay, well, I'll put addiction in there. And little did I know that addiction became part of my story. So I really believe, as we spoke before, as I believe, Everything in life happens by design, not by chance. I so I believe, I believe that, you know, I believe that we truly do, you know, I do, I believe, you know, yes, I believe in, in, in my creator and stuff like that, but I do believe as humans, we have an innate sense inside us to where we can, as we spoke before, we can manifest what we want because they say thoughts becomes things. But I also believe that each one of us inside of us have, have, have seeds of greatness. We have seeds of brilliance inside that we can we can manifest and we can walk into this world. And you know, it's basically it's like a, an alchemist pro- process where we can basically turn ourselves into solid gold by going through the fiery furnace. And the fiery furnace for one person could be a week, could be a day, could be a month, could be years. But I believe that in that process, that we, if we choose to walk through the fire, no matter what it is, whatever trial, whatever adversity on the other side i believe we can come forth as pure gold and as we walk through that process each of one i believe has a message inside that we can we can spread into this world that we can walk in this world and we can give to other people and show them in many many different areas and facets of life and i believe that what was birthed in me from a very very young age that dream i had just like martin luther king said he had a dream joseph in the bible talked about he had a dream and the thing was, as I had a dream 
very young age that I'm, I was born this world special, but I believe all of us are special because we have, we have different gifts and talents. But the thing is, was I believed that. And I believe that that was, as we were talking before last week was that was my why my dream is my why and something inside me would not let me give up for a lot of people that go through the types of things that I have and the trauma I've endured for over eight years. Many people, unfortunately, take their lives. Many people, unfortunately, never make it through. But there was something inside that told me, you will get better. You will get through this. This is not your worth in life. This is not your life. You are not made like this. You are not born like this. You can overcome this. You will overcome this. Just do not give up. Do not give in and do not surrender to it. So every day I had people say to me, they said, you're the strongest person we ever met. We met. But the resilience that I have learned in this journey and that I have grown in this journey, I never, if you'd have talked to me pre-March 28, 2013, I would tell you that the trial that I've walked through for over eight years now, I would tell you that would kill me. I would never survive. If I knew and I had that map or I had that blueprint of what I was going to walk through, I would turn around and I would say to you, I would not survive. I, I would never make it. I'm not that strong, but I am actually shocked because the thing is, is I think in each one of us as human beings, we, 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 we have an innate ability. We do want to survive. We do want to get through. And I think if we hold on to, onto that, I think it will push us through. But when I look at it, it's like, I've, I've wanted to do anything to get well, because I choose life. I choose life every day. And, uh, you know, it's, and I believe in what we meditate on the most is, is what, you know, we will come and what we, we can manifest, what we can change. And the thing is, is I, I choose life every day. I choose to get better. And, and, and as that hope started to just grow, and then I'm on the Instagram, then fast forward, my, my father dies, crushed me, and I just went off Instagram. and like, I just don't want to do this. And then all of a sudden, I just noticed that I started getting a lot of people I started to post stories about people overcoming trauma, overcoming adversities, mental health, different things. And I was all over the place. I didn't know what I want. But then all of a sudden, I just say addiction became my story. Right. And then I end up in a treatment center. And in that treatment center, I went in there. I was terrified. I, and here again is and I don't know if I shared this with you. I went to the one treatment center. It was one of the top ones in Canada. And I went in there. And after six days there, I was pulled into the office. And this was one of the best treatment centers around. And I was in there and they sat down with me. And a counselor that was a 15-year drug and alcohol counselor sat in front of me and said to me, he said, Darren, he said, we've talked as a team here. He said, the type of trauma you have and the type of stuff that's going on, we feel that our program is going to just cause damage to you and hurt you we do not have the skills that your therapist has you have a brilliant therapist she's one of the top eight in emdr in, in canada this is who you're still is, seeing right or yes or, yes okay i thought yes. so yes and um and and the thing is is uh she is brilliant and i just the thing is they they sat me down i'm like no i want to stay here like i love it here i want to stay give me a chance and this is a lot of things that i have faced in my journey from healing from my trauma too a lot of abandonment a lot of rejection people looking at me like i was a leper like there was something wrong with me and i just i was hitting you know my whole journey had a lot of people that dropped me even in my christian community people dropped me because people run from pain because we are pain avoidant culture right you know and uh, it, it's it's horrible and the thing is is um 
So I was there and then they just said to us, you know, you we need to find your place where the program's a little bit easier, where they've got a more grace and you, you know, it's not so regimented and stuff like that because you've done a lot of work. But it was nice of them to do that. And at the time, you know, they, they realized that they were not equipped to take care of people. And we're talking about a 15-year 15, 15 veteran of, of drug and alcohol addiction. And that's the same we're talking earlier. There is a breakdown out there even in, in treatment centers because they don't, most of them do not have the capability or the resources or the funding to take to deal with the people. underlying trauma. Yes. It's that's, just that's, the, it's just getting people clean and then yes. out you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. There's a, there's a lot of progress in that, but I found out the statistics that in the, you know, in treatment center, there's something like 4% of people that go through treatment successfully, 4% will go on to have long-term sobriety from one year on. Four. Four percent. Four percent. That's so just, it's unreal to me, but it, but it is, but it is real because, you know, I think that even just like, a, you, you know, I'm an alcoholic. I mean, just yeah. the idea that I didn't, I didn't go into a 12 step program if that works for you. Great. And yeah. I think that that's wonderful. But for me, there, there was a lot, there was like you, there was a lot of other things that I had to resolve and make peace with. So I had 100%. to turn it into a positive. Yeah. And I also had to, um, I had to turn sobriety into an extreme positive. I had to have a tremendous why, and I had to do a lot of that inner work. And I, I feel a lot of times, and this is just my personal opinion. I believe in sobriety. Everybody should do what works for them a hundred percent. But I had to, but I think a lot of times what works for people works in the short term, like these, like these programs that you're talking about, they're a short term fix, but the people, you know, unfortunately aren't, aren't guided in the direction where they can, they can tackle that underlying part, that painful part, that, that part that just like wretches at you where you don't, where you don't even, you can't it incapacitates you almost. And it, 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 it's, I think I'm grateful to hear that they said that to you and you were able to know that your answers lied outside of that program, that you didn't, that you, that your therapist was the person that was going to be able to provide you the yeah. most. No, and definitely. And then what happened is, is I ended up going to a faith-based program. I went to that program and they were way, way, the program wasn't even close to the program as I was in. But the thing is, is what they did is they accepted me with open arms. And in Christian's terms, we call it grace. They had lots of grace. So in this one treatment center, what they did is they took people as such where other places wouldn't take them. And other places, they would look at a project or they would push them away. And what they did is they would take people in with psychiatric problems, different issues, and just mm-hmm. say, you know, we're here to love on you. And I believe the key to healing trauma, the key to anything in life is connection. We're all hardwired for connection. And I believe that at the root core of every person, if we can get connection, we can get healing. If we can get connection, and, and I believe the biggest source of healing is love is love from other human beings, is love for other pe- from other people. And I, that's what I was yearning for all my life. I was, I was an adult 
like an adult child, they say, someone that has trauma from childhood, an adult child, you know, that basically wanted to be loved. And I believe the number one thing is even in, when you're with a therapist, they say that the biggest source of healing being with a therapist is the therapeutic bond. It doesn't matter the skill that they have. It's about the therapeutic bond. But with my type of trauma, I had to go deeper. I had to go deeper because talk therapy alone, a lot of people talk therapy is great for most people. And, uh, but the thing is, is for talk, talk therapy alone will not resolve deep seated trauma, especially trauma that is developmental from a very, very young age when the brain is still growing. So the thing is, is in the primitive part of the brain and the amygdala, the fear center, what, what needs to be done is, is talk therapy, they call it top down processing and the therapeutic approaches like, uh, like, um, EMDR, neurofeedback, anything that works with the body like yoga, that is called bottom-up processing. So there's a, the field out there in the healing is we have to, the body knows how to heal itself. And uh, I worked with an expert on the body too. I did what was called trauma release exercises too. I did a whole bunch of modalities because I did a lot of study and there's also somatic experiencing, which I do with my therapist now. She does, she does somatic experiencing and Somatic experiences came out by uh, Dr. Peter Levine. And uh, what he found is, sorry, I hope I'm not segueing too much here. You're okay. He found, he found that the body can heal. And, uh, and how he noticed that is he noticed that when he was working with clients and he looked at animals in the wild, when an animal in the wild, like a gazelle, is chased by a lion, it, it runs and it's so fast. And what happens, it goes into fight or flight. And when it goes right. into fight or flight mode, it just flies off and it goes and goes and goes. And then the lion hopefully doesn't catch it and have it for dinner. And have you seen that when they, when Dr. Levine seen these, these animals in, in, in the wild, what they see happen is he noticed at the end when they start running, they were in fight or flight. And then all of a sudden they see the gazelle would stop the lion at the tread is gone. And then all of a sudden the, the, the gazelle would start shaking, tremoring from head to toe. And, and a lot of times people see cats doing that where they'll shake. I've never seen a cat doing it, but people say that they do. And uh, you ever notice yourself, if you're ever in a shocking situation or you're so hyped up or so amped up, you get into an argument or something happens or you get a scare and all of a sudden you notice that you're just so tense. And then afterwards yeah. you start shaking, your body starts shaking. Mm -hmm. That's a natural mechanism to basically bring you out of fight or flight and to bring you back into regulation and to bring you back into just being just being present right so he he seen this gazelle doing that and he started working with patients and he would start bringing them back into their trauma and he would say to them get up get up now and start making movement with their feet and hands and stuff because at the time of trauma what happens people go into the either flight which they'll run you know fight or flight you know or freeze right so the freeze right. response many people with trauma they go into freeze response where it's like basically the body goes in to prepare for death and uh, if you ever see a, see a, a mouse with a cat, when a, when a cat gets near a mouse and the mouse is right there, the mouse will actually just go tight and it will just freeze in front right. of the cat, preparing for death. And all these chemicals go into the body. And basically, uh, Dr. Levine had seen that. And he, he seen that, that by working with patients, if he can discharge that fight or flight that was, that was basically absorbed by the body and uh, absorbed by the brain and dissociated, release that out of the body through that bottom-up 
processing of allowing the body to shake and go through the motions mm-hmm. and to complete complete these things that the body can heal itself on a, a deeper cellular level. So oh, that's so fascinating. Talk, so, I, w- so, I wish we had all the time to talk about this subject exactly, because this is fascinating stuff. And I, and I've, I've read quite a bit about it, but that's fascinating. But that, so he, he actually has people mimic that, that, different that bottom up yeah. process. Yeah. So the thing is, is, so I did a lot of work with that too. And then I just said, so then working with my therapist now is what she is working with is she's working with EMDR because EMDR can go to a deep level of the brain. And what it can do is it can can release on a deep, deep level the parts of trauma, fragmented traumas that you can't, that are outside of consciousness, out that are repressed, that we don't have visual memory to. And it can Mm -hmm. access that. And talk therapy can't speak to that region of the brain. So when I found this therapist, she was just, she was the one that actually had told me to go to, to treatment too, because she said that she said, the addiction is just, you're just trying to just soothe yourself and, and, and think, but she said, but what I'm afraid of right now, she said, you're going to end up dying. So she said, you need to go into treatment to be safe. So that's what she said. So, and the treatment was, was a lifesaver for me because most days I was just, I needed people to be with me every day to, to be there for me. I had friends that would hang out with me every day because I was terrified to go out into the world prior to treatment. So going back to, to where the, the addiction was a blessing, the addiction was a blessing because it ended me into treatment. And when I went into treatment, I ended up having to be on a schedule. So I'd have to be up every morning at six. We wake up every morning. We'd have to be up at 6.30. So I wake up at six, I go down, I do my chore. And I, I, I never thought that I, when I went, because my anxiety is the highest in the morning. And when I went into treatment, I was terrified even I was going there. I didn't think I'd be able to do the program sitting in, in a room with a TV on noise in around over 30 guys. I was terrified, but all of a sudden something started to happen. And this is where even the more hope came in. I noticed that the more, this is how you heal trauma too. And PTSD is you put yourself in this exposure therapy. So you're in an environment where there's overwhelm. And the more you're sitting in that, the more the brain starts calming itself because you're around a lot of action. Whereas before I couldn't be around nothing. I was like in a little bone. So in the treatment, I started getting up early and then I started to reset my circadian rhythm. So by getting up in the morning, I ended up, um, I ended up, I noticed that my anxiety, my depression, which used to be a six, seven, eight, nine out of 10 started to drop down to maybe anywhere one, one to three a day. And I was just going like, okay, something's happening here. And it was nothing short of a miracle, but my body started to reset itself because I'd been sleeping in for, for basically close to eight years sleeping in every day to one and stuff and not wanting to face the world because right. I, didn't. I figured if I sleep in, I'd have less of the day to face every day. And then, and yet the you were doing yourself a disservice by, by being conflicting with circadian rhythms, by being with that natural, that natural rhythm that would have been helpful. You know, Definitely. we instinctively, when we go through those kinds of things, we instinctively just want to shut down, go to sleep, stay up late, you know, so. And that's it, yeah. And I think the biggest thing, what I, what I found is what I learned from and as I learned from for any kind of healing or any in life, we need a daily structured activity. Right. And what I, what I learned was, is I learned that once I had daily structured activity, it built bridges through the day for me. And what it did is it helped me get through the day. And I, and I, and I really feel that that was the big thing that happened in treatment. I had stuff I had to do all day and I was accountable to do that. 
And then I started to notice deeper levels of healing, right? And then, unfortunately, I had to leave uh, the treatment. I was there just over four months. I got COVID very, very badly. I was deadly ill, but I had to leave because it was just a, it was a threat to the whole place. They may have got closed down. So I did my, you know, 10 days, 12 days of quarantine. And then, then I, I moved on into, into a family's home. But going back to what you said is all these things, what they did is it's a gift for me because what's happened is it's almost like, as you said, it's like um, these things manifest itself and we don't always know ahead of time, but if we look back at life or we look back at these circumstances happening, if we embrace change and we embrace going through stuff and we embrace stuff that comes at us, I, f- I think what I have found that everything, everything is, is working for my good. Everything is coming together. You know, like it's, it's, it's and I just said, it's by design and, and we, we can get in our own ways of that natural process. And I believe we all have destiny. We all have stuff that's going to happen. And if we just embrace it. So if I look forward, I look forward to that, you know, building that trauma, you know, an addiction recovery Instagram. And I had other Instagrams I have too, which I went to and I was all over the place because I want to do this, this, this and undecided. But it's this, this, this vehicle is where it opened it up for me because I wanted to speak. I was offered to speak do TED Talks before and different things, but I've turned everything down. This is my first podcast and I, I wouldn't do it in the pack because I felt I'm too broken. I'm too broken. Oh, and you're my, wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I pulled well, up your your Instagram right now. I wasn't, I'm, you'll probably, the, the listeners can't see me, but I'm on my phone right now looking at trauma and addiction recovery, which is where you can find Darren, by the way. I'll say it again before the end of the podcast, but 4,600 followers, already and you've been you've just been connecting with people all over the place i mean has it it's it's really been it's you were talking about connection earlier i mean what have you found um just what what are the things that you've been seeing with all the people that you've been connecting with and and how it's been unfolding for you well what's what's crazy about it is 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 we we live in a world of connection and the thing is is even in instagram what it is is everybody is sitting behind computers and assigned behind tablets, behind, you know, personal devices. And what it is, is we are all hardwired for connection, right? And that's where it's coming in is really what I noticed is, is in the world, we need, we need people telling their stories. We need people, even if you just overcome something small, we all need to hear from one another. We can learn from one another. And what I found is what I do is I share stories of people that have overcome addiction. And what it does is not only does it, you know, and have, have clean time or sober time. But what happens is, is a lot of those people have had mental health challenges, trauma challenges and stuff like that, because we're all the same. And the thing is, is what I found is by sharing that and connecting with other people, and then I giving other people hope, but it's also inspiring me. It's given me a purpose. And then secondly, I just decided, you know, when I came out of treatment, I'm going to put up, you know, myself on there. And when you're on Instagram is you're trying many different ways of different ways. Cause you want to have the most amount of followers and stuff like that. But someone told me that the most important thing about Instagram, it's not about how many people you have. You can have the smallest account. It's about in- interaction and it's engagement. And the mm-hmm. thing is, is it, and I got caught up in that as wanting to have the big, big account. But the thing is, is what I'm finding is there's so many people out there that we connect with. I can connect with people that are on, you know, out in the world, like doctors, lawyers, politicians people that are they're huge huge out there 
to to someone that is just a guy that's on the street homeless, right? And we all can be tied together and have something there. But what I found on 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 social media is is I truly, truly find that on there is it can be a platform for me to do what I want to do is to to speak around the world and and to share my story and to hone my skills and speak and so I can help other people. And it's truly it's I believe in helping other people. It's 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 how we we heal, right? Because if we help another person, even in NA and NA a recovery program, the 12 step is about being of service to others. And they yeah. encourage people in recovery to help other people. And just like what you're doing now is you're helping other people. You're helping me. You know, the thing is, is you're helping me because you're giving me your time. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're edifying me and, and, and you're bearing witness to my suffering, to my journey, which is even what we're doing right now is healing for me. And, and I, I think it's important for people to get out there and to share their stories, to, to be transparent, to be, not to be plastic, but to be, to be just, to be open, to, to show people that, you know, this is me and not be afraid because people, people have come up to me and said, oh, I've, I've not gone through as bad of a journey you've gone through. You know, you're, yours is worse than mine, but it's all relative because all, anything that we go through is we, we, we all, pain and suffering is all the same thing. And it's, and it's, it's, you know, like you, you, it's, you don't compare, right? Because the thing is, is, you know, mine could be, my, my issue could have been the worst thing that ever happened to me. And that's individual to me. And what happened to you or to happen to someone else is, is all team. But I think at the end of the day, it is, is, is I have, I'm starting to find my why even coming in to speak with you today. I'll be honest with you. I didn't want to do it again. I was like, I was like, Oh my God, like, Holy fuck. Like, I, I don't want to do this. Like, like, I just, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do it because we all have that inner critic inside us that tells us that every day. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, you think you, you're acting like as if I don't have that. <laughs> like, oh, you're but, perfect. I'm joking. But you know what? Seriously, though, we do, we do, and as long and you know what? Remember, and I'm just going to say this: just remember, whenever you feel that, that the other guy's also feeling it, and the other guy's well, also feeling it, oh, and the other, guy. yeah, <laughs> yeah. We we all battle, we all battle demons, and the thing is, at the end of the day, it's like. It is, and I have to every day, and I think anybody out there, every day, that negative little voice in your head, and, and in, in, in treatment, the guy called, he said, we all have a committee of assholes on our shoulders, and he says, tell them to fuck off. Absolutely. He, was, he said, tell, he said they, <laughs> they are screaming out, out there at you, and he said, tell them to fuck off and get the fuck, pack their bags and get the fuck out of town. Yes. And, and, every, and every day, I think every human being on this earth we, it doesn't matter how much work you've done in yourself. You're always going to have that negative that's going to come in, that negative energy. That it's, and it could be come from another person. It could be on social media. It could be, you know, walking down the street. It could be in your job. And the thing is that at, at the end of the day, it's like be true to yourself. And that just said, and I always said to my daughter, my youngest daughter, when she's gone through struggles, I said, if anybody says something that's not congruent to your values or something that you don't like, I said, or even that inner critic says to you, you know, you're a piece of shit, you're this, you're that, you can't do this, you can't do that. I said, press the delete button. I said, press the delete button. I said, and just tell it to go away. Yes. Or the, putting the finger up like you just demonstrated. Putting the right? finger up. They yeah. can't see it. But, oh, no, Darren, that is so awesome. I am, listen, I am so happy 
that you are willing to be vulnerable and come on here and, and share your story with everyone. It's so important. I am just about out of time. I wanted to know if you have any parting words for our listeners before, before we decide to, before we decide to sign off for the day. No, I just want to say it's my, it's my honor to talk to you and for you taking the time out of, out of your life to, to honor me by giving me an opportunity to, this is the first time I've truly, truly spoke, you know, to, you know, I've done it on Instagram and stuff like that, but in a podcast and with someone like yourself, my anxiety has been through the roof, but at the end, at the time, I just want to say that it's healing, but just my advice to anybody out there is like, you know, and it's, uh, I, I know there's a, there's a quote by, um, a, uh, what's his name? I'm just trying to think of the name. Um, Zig Ziglar. He's a famous uh, motivational speaker. And he, he always said that if, if you can help enough people get what they want, you ultimately will get what you want. So I think the key in life is for me is, is we need to be out there in the world. I think to anybody is help other people. You know, obviously, if you, know, you, you, you have an empty cup, don't. But the key in life is, I think, for us to help other people. If we can help other people and be of service to other people, we ultimately will get what we want and it's fulfilling. So when you help another person in need or anybody that's struggling, you will truly reap the rewards, right? Because, you know, I know in the Bible it says better to give than receive, right? You know, and it also says in there, he who humbles himself will be exalted. So I think if we're humble and we serve each other, you know, the world will be a better place. So, you know, just, you know, put, put yourself out there and serve another person. Even, you know, today you're out in the grocery store or you're, somewhere even just smiling at someone asking someone how's their day are just just showing showing interest in another person i think we can all make the world a better place you know so so thank you so much i'm just very very honored and i'm humbled. Well, the honors and, honors all mine honestly <laughs> it was so great it was so great i'm thank so you. happy i'm so happy they're here and one before we sign off where can everyone find you i know we talked about it already but people Sometimes forget you're on Instagram at the trauma and addiction recovery. And it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's on there. And it's like, I, it's funny. It's like, cause as I'm creating my niche now, my niche is coming where it's everything to do with Ireland. Because I think when you're on social media, the thing is, is to have yourself stand out. The thing is, is I put, put leprechauns in there. Now I put pots of gold. I play Irish music and put shamrocks up because the thing at the end of the day is, is, that's what people will remember me by and will remember my page and who I am and, and show interest that I'm the, you know, even when, to, when I went to treatment and I spoke in NA and stuff like that and AA and people call me the Irishman. I became known as the Irishman. They don't forget, get my name. So, so that's the thing is, is, and I just, yeah. So yeah, I'm just, I'm just, just, yeah, I'm just very, very thankful. And that's it. I hopefully I didn't bore everybody or I didn't, uh, you know, wasn't too all over the place. Right? You were <laughs> not all over the place at all. I'll listen, trauma and addiction recovery on Instagram. And I look forward to coming to your first TED talk, The Irishman. I'm really excited about it. Thank you. And that about does it for this week, guys, on the Get the Fuck Off podcast. If you have a story that you want to share and you would like to be a guest, please reach out to me, Andy, A N D E E 
at getthefuckoff.com. You can also get at me on Instagram, underscore getthefuckoff. And you can just visit me on my website as well, getthefuckoff.com. I would love for you guys to come on the show, tell your story, inspire others. I have a great guest coming up next week, Stephanie Langner. She is going to be talking about her experiences hiking the Appalachian Trail. She just recently quit her job of 11 years. She's on her way to hike the Pacific Crest Trail. Lifelong dream of hers. She's going to talk all about mindset shifts and I'm so excited to share. Well, help her share her story with all of you guys. So check back next week. Until then, you guys take care and be safe and I'll talk to you guys really soon.